Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear Doc, or the boss, I'll have your spam. I love it. Oh, it's spam, spam, spam. here on Sunday at 3 Triple RFM. Beautiful humans, it's so nice to have you in the house with us. A big thanks to the scientists for an uh, incredible show and the doctors and, and all the rest that are here in the morning. Matt Stedman. Cameron Smith. You're sounding a bit different, Cameron. I'm sounding a bit different. What's happening? Uh, because we're speaking into roads rather than Sennheisers, <laughs> perhaps. Um, we're not there. No. That's, we are there. We're here. Not yeah, there. Yeah, no, that's, that's just a brand thing. Uh, we are doing um, a little bit of a pre-record uh, this week, ladies and gents, or beautiful humans, and we'll be back next week. But, uh, yeah, that's the reason why it does sound different, in that uh, we're in a bit of a different space and speaking through different sticks. We're missing our East Brunswick container. But we still got a good show for you. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. going to run us through it, Cameron Smith, he said. Um, yeah, well, indeed. Um, I sort of went far and wide getting some interviews for uh, the show. Um, yeah, well, my God, the first one, Luke, I went uh, quite a few miles to actually to Lake's entrance. I was lucky enough to be in East Gippsland, uh, had a couple of sensational dinners, uh, one was at a place called Sardine, and we'll have an interview with uh, Mark Briggs with uh, that coming up shortly, but also to Sodafish in Lakes Entrance, uh, an incredible restaurant that is right next to where all the trawlers are. So mm. possibly the freshest seafood that you can get and uh, co-run with uh, an old buddy of ours, Nick Malouk. You remember him? Oh, I do remember him. Yeah, Nick. Nick can, God, he can cook fish. Mm. And um, he has been up there for a while now. Opened it during COVID, like, you know, a lot of people did, uh, you know, to their chagrin. But uh, that's the first thing I speak to Luke, who is the chef of Soda Fish and Lakes Entrance. And then we go out to Thomastown, where we talk to someone who has changed our food scene for the better. And I'm talking about Giorgio Linguanti of mm. That's Amore Cheese. Matt, there was a time when mozzarella cheese <laughs> represented a ball of coagulated protein and fat. Um, you can still get them. If you just yeah. pop down at aisle seven of the supermarket, you yeah. know, they're still there in their plastic packaging. 
the yellow plastic mozzarella, you know? And yeah. uh, Giorgio brought to us the full gamut of um, hand-stretched fresh mozzarella, um, stracciatella, uh, all those incredible cheeses. And I've got to say that his factory and his um, uh, restaurant that he has in there is mm -hmm. just mind-blowing. Like, what he has created there is incredible. So we get a little bit of a taste of, um, well, what makes Giorgio tick and, um, and how he has changed the way that we perceive a lot of uh, fresh Italian cheeses. And then I go on top of a hill in um, the uh, in the Yarra Valley, Dixon's Creek, actually, mm -hmm. uh, where I talk to John Joe, John Joe McAvoy, who mm. is, I suppose, why are we talking to him? Probably because he represents the new generation of winemakers that are, are coming through. He's got a great collaboration with two other blokes, young blokes, uh, with his uh, with the brand called Finn Wines. Mm -hmm. And they do weird things in the fact that they they don't have paper labels and they don't put what grape varieties are on the on the labels. Yeah, right. And and they do weird co ferments like cider and Rousson, which Ooh. it's absolutely delicious, I might say. And they're really cool. And maybe I'm sort of basking in their light a little bit of their their coolity, if I can make up a word. And uh, I just thought it'd be good to um, have a chat with them and just get an idea of their thoughts about making wine in 2022 here in Victoria. So, yeah, that's the show. That sounds good. Um, now, I'm actually going to change things around a little bit. We're actually going to start with uh, Giorgio from Natsumori Cheese. Oh, thank you. Um, and uh, you know what? I, I think that might be us for an intro. Is there anything yeah. you wanted to touch on before we, before we press on? Oh, maybe I might um, uh, just as a, a, a little bit of a, a, a thing to pre-alert something that might be coming down the tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, went to an interesting place called Deep Dive Pizza, a new joint that just opened off Brunswick Street. Mm. Interesting in the fact that we've seen so much Italian pizza and we know it, we understand it, it's in our blood, but now we have a choice of American-style pizza, New York, Chicago, and Detroit. And we're going to have a chat with Paul coming up soon, and we'll find out what all those mean. But that's at a later date. You know, I want pizza. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we should crack on. Um, coming up. In fact, we're not even going to do uh, any mortgage payment here. We're just going to go straight to Georgia from that Samori Cheese. Crossing over now, Cam. Let's do it. Cameron, I um, feel honoured, uh, happy. Yes to be able to welcome you here at that Samore today because we've been meeting for so many times, so long, in so many different places, and uh, always I've been inviting you, and I understand you're so always very busy. But now that you're here, I'm happy to be able to show you our world, that Samore Cheese world, the perception when you come here is completely different from what, when you meet a sales rep on the road, a product, on the, on the shelving of a supermarket or a deli or one of our vans on the road. When you come to the Zamora, you breathe what we're breathing every day. It's fantastic. I think uh, this reality of Melbourne, um, I can't say a metro area because we're still in the metro area. We are one of the closest. Um, uh, where are we, just to, to give people an idea? Uh, 66 Latitude Boulevard in Thomastown, near the, near the station, Thomastown station. 
uh, walking distance, about three minutes from the station. For those that maybe don't know you or haven't heard your story, you are the, the principal of the That's Amore Cheese, and you have made a great living and also influenced our city and our state and our country for the better, I would say, by you being here in broadening our opportunities for eating well in regards to cheese. I think eating well is uh, our duty. Yes. We all should look after to eating better and well. Um, no, the, the Melbourne welcoming. When I become a cheesemaker, the Melbourne chefs especially... Mm. Uh, welcome my my talent with my product into the recipe on the application in so many in so many many different restaurants, mm. and this was uh, the lucky moment over that summer cheese, um, the idea to put on the market a new product for the for, for the Australian market of course we were the first people to make a burrata the first people to make a bocconcini leaf mm. uh, smoked mozzarella and similar stracciatella stracciatella mm. squacquerone yeah. caciocavallo all these cheeses so uh, the first recipient of these uh, cheeses they were the chefs uh, majority of these chefs they were traveling through Italy and uh, um, get amused from this ingredient, mm. and then they were interested to look f- to, to be able to work with this product here in Australia. So it was my lucky moment. It was uh, incredible timing, if anything you could say, because prior to you coming, there was a, a little bit of uh, mozzarella di bufala uh, coming off planes, uh, but insane amounts of money to be um, to spend on it. But most Australians knew um, mozzarella as this uh, very, very um, hard, yellow, dried, tasteless cheese. And you were able to bring a taste of the old country. And saying that you used to work with the chefs, I used to see chefs lose their minds when you would come in with deliveries. Yes, I remember that because we were actually, it was exciting for them to meet me every time I was going doing delivery. I started this business mm. in 2008, doing production in the morning and delivery in the afternoon. Mm. So it was a, um, I know I have another option. I have to deliver it myself. Yeah. I was meeting the chef, and the conversation was very interesting. It was always a pleasure meeting them, and it was a very joyful moment, absolutely. Well, they, they were overjoyed to see you because, yeah, you started off with your the fresh mozzarella, the plats, I remember, were um, incredible. I remember uh, Rita McCarley loved those. She used to put them on her pizzas. Uh, the burrata as well. It was an incredible time. Absolutely. It's been a, a real also evolution of the Samore cheese in these years. Mm. We've been always improving the product, increasing the production, and put on the market a new product. The, in the last three years of, uh, of a funny period of our life with this pandemic, and Did you say the funny period of our lives? Yeah, we must <laughs> yeah, laugh yeah. about it because yeah. in the ways it's been managed. Look a little bit Otherwise ridiculous. we cry. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, we were able to put on the market a new product. Mm. We have three blue cheeses we put on the market. Mm. One was named Isolation Blue just because everyone was in isolation. Mm. And, uh, okay, let's send this cheese out. Another one is the Sunrise Blue for mm. the beautiful pink, orange color that rind become. Yes. When, so it looked like a sunrise. Fantastic. Yeah. Another one is a Buffalo Blue. Uh, we we start to produce now for the next season, 
Um, and then we have a fantastic white mold cheese, alpine style, mm -hmm. that we call Stella Alpina. This is just the youngest. Stella Alpina is a flower mm -hmm. just growing on the alpine regions on the 3,000 um, meter high level. And they are, the, the, the petal of this flower, they look like uh, the same texture of uh, the rind of this um, white mold cheese. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's a protected flower, this is Stella Alpina. Uh, it means alpine star. Alpine star. It's yes. a protected flower you can pick. So, yeah, we try to sell always into the Italianity as a style. Thanks God to the variety of the cheese in Italy. They are amazing. They are just 293. They are the one protected from slow food movement in Italy. So there is a variety from mountain cheese to the south where you have all the stretch curd cheese, all the pasta filata, all the mozzarella style, from buffalo to cow's milk. The beauty of making cheese in Australia is the raw material, the milk. Australian milk is one of the best milk in the world. Um, the environment in, in Australia is super pure. The cows, they're not being kept in the shed like in the rest of the world. They, they are um, free-ranging. Free, free-ranging, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, the, and the difference is very different. The milk we're using as a cow's milk coming from South Gibson. We're just choosing farms near Wilson Promontory in Fish Creek. Yes. Where the, the, the breeze from the ocean brings minerals in land. The grass is... Great environment. <clears throat> The grass is always green and mm. full of minerals. The land, landscaping is amazing. Mm. Epic cow, fantastic milk, cross-breed between Jersey and Frisian. So we have an extra ex extra cream to our milk that brings more flavor to the cheese. A little bit more yellowish, but yes. this is a quality. Yes. Not many people know, a lot of people think about yellow cheese is more... Actually, wrong. What I'm saying is wrong. Some Italian chef looking for white mozzarella. But then I, when I'm able to show them some organic mozzarella in Italy, on the label, they explain that yellow mozzarella is a better quality. They have to, unfortunately, change their own opinion. Um, so, but, but you had to show that the, 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 Ita the Italians thought it was valid before they would believe it of over course, here. Of course, of course. We need, this, like uh, San Thomas, we need to prove. Yes. So, and then, so the cows will come from South Gippsland. And the buffalo milk we're using is an amazing product coming from North Victoria, mm. coming from Niazwoon Hill. And that has been for a long time now, hasn't it? Well, the farmer was in Mila Mila in Queensland. He bought the, the, on the herd for be able to supply us as a big customer. And uh, we're using at the moment about 11,000 litres a week of buffalo milk. And this buffalo milk is very unique. Why is it very unique? Um, it's a cross-breed buffaloes between the Italian buffalo, that's mm. very famous for the buffalo mozzarella, the milk quality, the Indian buffalo, and the water buffalo from the North Australia, the water buffalo. So it's a cross-breed. Boss, boss, yes. And these bring a unique flavor, unique composition, unique quality of milk. Wow. Different from the Italian buffalo mozzarella. It's yes. another product. So um, amazing quality. We, we're not just making buffalo mozzarella. We're able to make um, uh, some uh, mature cheeses with buffalo. So we're making the drunken buffalo. It's yes. another unique, can you imagine, drunken buffalo. When I, when I named this cheese and people, I was talking to people, I said, oh, everyone was visioning this drunken buffalo running. Yeah. Um, practically, this drunken buffalo is um, um, a buffalo milk cheese um, matured in, with um, wine leaves and grape skin from Nebbiolo. 
then he's uh, um, given to us from the Vinea Marson in Itcot, from Mario Marson mm. and his winery. They're giving us uh, the wine lease. Wine lease is a practical of the mud inside the barrel. Once, once you're decanting the, the wine, you put in bottle, you have this mud lease. Yes. So we rub this lease around the cheese, and yes. then we stick on this lease the grape skin from Nebbiolo. Mm-hmm. Nebbiolo wine is... Um, the, the, the grape skin is no dry and, and burned from the alcohol. The Nebbiolo uh, grape skin is still juicy and sweet, and so maturing together with the cheese, then you can eat also the rind with this wine leaves and grape skin and crunchy seeds sometimes in your bite. It's called drunken buffalo. Buffalo. And, of course, this brings us to the other thing, that not only is this... An amazing factory, um, full of, as you would expect, a, a cheese factory, very, very clean, people dressed in white, white gumboots, stainless steel everywhere. But there is an amazing, I mean, just an amazing delicatessen and restaurant attached to this place, which just blew me away. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad that, you. That, I was a pre, I was watching you walking in. I was already waiting for you. I was watching yeah, you yeah. walking in, yeah. and I and I waited before approaching you to give you the nice few seconds yeah. when you walk in. Take and you, in. Yeah. Um, Did I, my eyes go wide. They was having beautiful. Um, for somebody looking, people mm-hmm. they approaching the shop for the first time is. For me, normal, but it's still fantastic reaction. Yeah. It's nice to see people amazed from this. And uh, the nice thing is that people are not expecting into an industrial mm. area, in, in a brand new building, to walk into something uh, that looks a little bit more sophisticated, more rustic, more Italian, very Italian, actually, no more Italian, very Italian. Oh my God, yes. But, but what it does show is that not only do you have a, um, a great heart, a great vision, and the ability to work your ass off, which I know that you have, but oh my God, your aesthetic is incredible. The the tiling on the walls, the um, uh, the 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 furniture, the fittings that you have used, folks, this is just an amazing place, and it's not far out of town. And I would say to everybody, come out here because um, you can come grab a bite to eat, and it's good. Oh, my God, it's good. Great pasta. But you can also stock up on all your cheeses and delicate, just heaps of stuff. Amazing. Right, buying the factory. Mm. Everyone loves buying the factory. Mm. Um, yes, so the cheeses, they're all available. And these are the, the, the main attraction. But now the food of the restaurant has become um, the main attraction. Mm. We have a burrata dishes. In our menu, every week different. Mm. Uh, we make the own, our own pasta, our own porchetta. Mm. It's a, yes, it's a restaurant, but it's an own mild style, uh, nonna style restaurant where you eat mm. something unique, something fresh, yeah. something then make you uh, happy for the food. <laughs> well, it's come. You have come so far. What a journey you have had in this country. In the last minute or so, Giorgio, what are the plans for the future? Well, first of all, I have to give a credit to two main elements in the realization of this project. One has been God help, mm-hmm. big one, yeah. as I think is the main creator of this. Yes. And the second is the team at Samora Cheese. Mm-hmm. Now we have 100 people and more 
working every day at the Samore Cheese. And so the effort of all this uh, fantastic energy from this team is the one cre keeping creating mm. more and more adventures for our company. Mm. We have a few different uh, reality. We we living at the Victorian Night Market Market every Wednesday night. We living through events, the Truffle Festival, mm. uh, Cheese and Wine Festival, the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, and so many other activities and supply so many periodically, so many beautiful restaurants and cafes where the chefs have been able to, pro to produce an amazing dish with our cheeses. Um, project for the future, um, keeping improving the efficiency, keeping improving the quality, support more the farmers. Mm. We have next year a new project we want to start to supporting more the farmers because the farmers, they are... Um, the one make happen all this. With no farmers, we go no milk, no milk, no cheese. And a message I want to give it to all our friends, the living in around the city. And some of them, they are the the night of the environment. They they recycling. They do this. They do that. Who's doing the hard work? The really hard work is who's working in the farm. Who's look after the environment? A lot is happening in the farm. And not many knows the traditional agriculture. I don't know if you know, but traditional agriculture, what are they doing? Cutting trees, moving rocks, big tractors, pesticides, fertilizers. Everything is like a, a, a artificial. Mm. A carrot, a peppers, a, a cauliflower is just an artificial product. Yes. Full of a chemical pesticide and this and that. Who's left over in the, in, the, in, the, in the farming? Organic producer, vegetable organic producer. These are the very good people. And dairy farmers. Dairy farmers, not many people know, but they don't spray the land. They need the insect being pollinated in the grass. Mm. They're using what's come out from the, um, the chaos yes. to put it back into the farm and transforming it in grass. They planting trees for sheltering the animals. And this tree bring back birds, koala. Well, I'm not talking just like a beer. Uh, no, I'm talking for real things. Going to the farm, go and see the dairy farmers. Go and talk to them. Every day, they're doing something for the environment. Yeah. And we must support them. So, yes, we want to support the farmers. Well, what a good thing to, to finish. Again, Georgia, it's... Uh, I'm so sorry it's taken so long to get out here, but... It has been um, such an eye-opener to be here. Uh, congratulations on the business, and uh, you guys should come out here. That's the Monet Cheese in Thomastown, uh, 66 Latitude? Latitude Boulevard. The Latitude Boulevard. It's been an absolute pleasure, and, um, oh, yeah, and also thank you for lunch. My pleasure. Okay. okay. Thank you for coming. Brilliant. Triple. Okay, beautiful humans. I'm at the Esplanade in Lakes Entrance. Just a beautiful place, but made even more so by a floating restaurant that is just near where the trawlers are, where possibly you can get the freshest seafood in Victoria. And I'm lucky enough to be here with the, uh, the head chef. His name is Luke, a very, very... Where are we? It's still in the morning. Good morning, Luke. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Yeah, uh, thank you. First of all, this place, uh, it's called Sodafish, and maybe you might want to give us a, 
uh, a little bit of a talk about how it came to be and the ethos behind this this rather amazing venture by the water. So Sodafish originally was uh, called the Ferryman's Cafe. Uh, the restaurant that we are on at the moment is built on the foundation of the original Raymond Island Ferry. My business partners purchased it in uh, late 20 and we came with the name Sodafish because we predominantly, one of our biggest sellers is the fish and chips. We use a sourdough batter and we lighten that batter using soda water. We're on the water, we serve fish, Sodafish is the name. Here we okay, there you go, that's just cleared up something. I've been sort of wondering about that. You are able to um, give people an experience of what is, the well, the diamonds of, uh, of the deep around here, yeah? Yeah, so we, we only really purchase fish from the local trawlers. They let us know when they're coming in through the heads and then we place an order, go down to the boat, select the seafood from the boat, bring it back here. We employ a, a fishmonger that gills guts and fillets for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much an, an ocean-to-plate sort of a venue. Yeah. We get we get deliveries from the fishermen probably three times a week in, in the good season and twice a week when it starts to quieten down. Because um, maybe not a lot of Melburnians realise this, that this is pretty much the funnel for most of the seafood that comes into the markets in Victoria, yeah? Yeah, so we've got a big fisherman's co-op at the, end of, at the very end of the wharf, mm-hmm. like right by the entrance. Um, so they unload for the most part, down there, and then it gets sent to Melbourne, graded, yes. and then funnels out into the country from there. Re- regional Victoria for the f- uh, fishermen's baskets in the country pubs, in the, which you should probably never try, by the way. But if you are actually here by the water, I would say, my God, yes, try the f- fish, because uh, it is in- incredible. Can you maybe take me through, Luke, about some of the... Uh, the seafood and the fish that come through here and maybe highlight a couple that are your favourites or maybe have become your favourites since you've been coming down here or have um, set up here? Yeah, so as we're sat here now, the boat just across from us, the Northern Star, uh, during the scallop season is probably one of the biggest uh, scallop fishes in Victorian waters. And Uh, and you know what I'm really, really... um, assured by by looking at that when you said it's the biggest scallop thing it's not some super boat um it's not some mega trawler which were threatening our waters years ago it's how long would you reckon it be describe the northern star for us so the northern star has a crew of about six six on it including the skipper it's probably 15 meters in length it's not a double decker or anything like that it's just a bright green boat with a with a wheelhouse and Yeah, they go out and they catch scallops, and then when the scallops start to go into spawn, then they switch over and start targeting squid. Yes. Um, and likewise, they're probably one of the biggest squid catchers in, in Victoria as well. So that boat is probably uh, responsible for a lot of the produce that's on the table for millions of Victorians. Correct. If you go to, if you go to South Melbourne Market and you see Bass Strait scallops, ch- yeah. chances are the Northern, squid, the Northern Star caught them. Wow. Okay, so um, obviously, so you by saying that you're a fan of the scallops because mm-hmm. scallops are, are great. What else? So from out, out the front of lakes here, they catch quite a lot of gummy shark, uh, sword shark, 
um, Dusky Flathead is mm -hmm. predominantly the biggest one. Possibly one of my favourite species that they catch is Gurnard. It's just brilliant as a ceviche. It's absolutely gorgeous. Really? Yeah. Gurnard's probably um, a lesser regarded fish, would it not be? Yeah, but that's kind of the whole point of like who we are as a restaurant is stuff that you go to the market and you don't think much of we're mm. serving here and trying to highlight how beautiful that almost regarded as bycatch is like one of one of the dishes that we had on throughout the summer was a, a monk i know it as monkfish being from the northern hemisphere mm. but local people call it stargazer, stargazer. Yeah, yeah, yeah so we had a sort of i hate the term deconstructed but like a pulled, pulled apart monkfish curry and there was so many people came in and they were like, what is monkfish? And you say stargazer to the locals and they're like, oh, we always threw that back when we were working on the boats. No one yeah. ever wanted it. But that ugly bastard of a fish. Yeah, it's, it's stunning. The, yeah. way, the way it eats is, is absolutely beautiful. And I think that's what's important to us is trying to get the, trying to get the species that are lesser known and presenting them in a way that is accessible to people mm. and people can can really see that species as a star of the plate and anything else is just there to to lift it. I don't know, someone's um, doing some hammering on their, on their trawler at the moment, so if you're wondering what that is, that's someone getting their boat um, uh, ready. So, Gurnard as a ceviche, um, and what sort of flavours do you... First of all, Gurnard, a uh, white-textured fish? Yeah, it's... can't say it's similar... In its structural pattern to a kingfish, but it's very similar in its appearance once it's sliced mm. to a kingfish. Same sort of muscle structure. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very um, almost um, opaly in mm. in its sort of in its colour and its an appearance. We just like serving it with uh, a fig leaf oil, um, some toasted buckwheat with local honey, and some pickled chilies, and it just is a stunning mouth. Wow, that uh, that does sound good, and and that's the thing. It's um, though the uh, you try to use your protein and present it simply. There's a lot of thought that's going into um, the flavours and the balance that's behind the meals. Yeah, that's correct. I don't like to have too many elements on the plate, but everything has to be there for a purpose and a reason. It mm. can't just be. I'm not. I'm not one for putting flowers on a dish. Mm. I. If that flower has a purpose, then mm. sure it's there, but it has to bring something to the entire to the whole the whole dish. Do you have tweezers tucked into your tunic? Never. No tweezers. There Never. you go, folks. There's no tweezers <laughs> happening down here in Lake's entrance. Uh, uh, okay. Well, there we go. There's you're nailing your colours to the mast. Also, I have to compliment you because um, I was here last night and had a sensational dinner. And this, I've got to say, actually, this is one of the main reasons I've come down here to. Gippsland on this trip is to eat here at Sodafish because I've wanted to for ages. But you did something inspired with which we'd probably call the hero protein of um, this area of the sea around here, King George Whiting. What do you do with it and how did you come up with the idea? So we get our King George Whiting from Corner Inlet. We Where's that? Corner Inlet's down by Wilson's Promontory. The port there is Port Albert. It's another small smaller scale fishing town to lakes entrance mm -hmm. so yeah we get our king george whiting from there and then it gets filleted and pin boned and then we fold the fillet in half on itself and cook it until the protein is just set under the salamander 
We're serving that with a uh, Jerusalem artichoke puree and then confit Jerusalem artichokes and then a heavily reduced brown chicken stock that's emulsified with white balsamic vinegar and quite a bit of butter um, and then that's poured table side with chives over the top to finish it off. Have you got that? Are you thinking about that, folks? It's something that not many people would think about, but so valid and so delicious. It was brilliant. It tasted amazing. Yeah, King George Whiting is always seen as being something that's like such a, a delicate and light flavour, but mm. you can actually real like really punch flavour behind it, and the fish seems to the the fish's flavour and texture seems to manage to keep up with most things that we serve with it. So in the past we've served it with cauliflower, which again is another pretty bold flavour. Mm. But the whiting just is always the star of the plate. Mm. It's just everything that I try to put to it still complements. It's not a takeover. That's, I think, what needs to be the case. Yeah, you thought about it and you've achieved that because, yeah, the whiting is, is still the whiting. And then there was um, also a, another dish that you do here that bears just just talking about because it's about, you know... the. Food is history, food is narrative, tradition, and the abalone dish that you have on this menu um, has an interesting, and you, as you said so beautifully yesterday, a humbling story behind it. Do you want to give us a, a bit of a sense of, um, of this dish? Yeah, for sure. So the abalone comes from a company in Malakuta called Mapa. They are pearl fishermen, so basically they they put a screw through the shell of the abalone when it's still alive to try and create a, a pearl on that screw. So after it's been farmed and shucked and stuff, we then, we then get the meat after that because they were previously exporting it to China and Japan. Mm. Um, but the humbling part of the story is the, the guy that owns the company now lost both of his parents on MH16. And then not so long after, he left his job in Sydney to come down and take over the farm with his wife and his sister, and then not long after that he lost his wife very, mm. very suddenly. So the abalone sort of, for me, honouring his family, mm. the farm that they've created, and the business that he's basically been left to learn about all by himself. Because this, this sort of what you were sort of getting to me, Luke, was the fact that... Here's someone who's pretty much lost everything and yet he still has the determination to, uh, as we say, put his feet on the, on the floor every morning and get up and do stuff. And you said he's grown the business really, really beautifully and there's a specificity... No, I can't say that properly. There's a, the intention <laughs> of uh, doing the abalone... Uh, the way that his parents would have been proud for it to happen. was that, Am I getting that right? Yeah, I, th I think it's important to showcase the abalone as the abalone um, mm. because that's what his parents' business was. Mm. Um, so I just serve it raw with some coastal mustard that we pick from around us on the beaches here, yeah. some fried guanciale and a smoked butter. Yeah. And I think it just highlights the integrity of the abalone and 
showcases how beautiful the ingredient actually is and it can be made more accessible to Australians. Everyone always sees abalone as being an exceptionally expensive thing that no one knows how to cook. No, so, I've I've, so I've decided not to cook it yes. and let people experience what abalone is in its rawest and most beautiful form. Wow. Well, um, soda fish by, by the waters of uh, Lake's entrance, this is a must-see stop. And, OK, just, uh, just to sign off, Luke, and to, to bring it back because... Uh, not everybody's going to come, uh, be able to come down, but we certainly invite everybody to come down. But uh, advice for people when they are cooking fish at home, what should they be mindful of? Keeping it simple. Keeping it as simple as possible. Select the nicest, freshest possible fish and put it with flavours that you enjoy. But don't let the fish be lost in those flavours. Boom. Thank you, words of wisdom, O Master. Uh, <laughs> Luke's getting all like, oh, mate, don't do that. It's been great to, to meet you, Luke, and congratulations on the food that you do. Everybody should come down here and experience it because uh, it's a beautiful spot and great food. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for coming down. Pleasure. Yeah. The rouge have happened. Yes, I've got the variety of rouge that I'm on. Like a bunch of bums on the bottom. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I've got some lovely rum. Check with your analyst. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one showing me these dirty tomatoes. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Right. Eat it. Triple R. Dixon's Creek, and um, I'm revisiting a place that I was lucky enough to uh, to visit on a uh, Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, drink Victoria sort of thing, and I got to meet these guys at Finn Wines, and I've got uh, John Joe here. We've got a, a bit of wine in our glasses, so we should probably just go... Cheers, man. Bing. Hi, John Joe. How you doing? Good, mate. How are you? Oh. Good. Um, thanks for seeing me again. Really, really appreciate it. I just wanted to come up and describe this place to the listeners and give them a little bit of a feel about how you do wines, but with your, uh, with your mates, you do them a little bit differently. First of all, tell us a little bit about where we are and then we can maybe go on to what's Finn Wines and how did that come about? Yeah, so uh, we're based in Dixon's Creek mm-hmm. in the Yarra Valley. Uh, we're perched on top of a hilltop, looking north and south. We have beautiful views. Yeah, we're really right in the heart of wine country here, aren't we? Yeah, totally. And then if you look north, you've got the Great Dividing Range, <laughs> lots of forests, yeah. lots of vineyard. It's uh, yeah, it's a little uh, little slice of paradise. It's it's a bloody great place for an office, I tell you. First of all, you you literally can see for just kilometres and kilometres. I mean, there's a big hill. This is south, aren't we? We're looking yeah, this way. That's Highbow Hill. Uh, what's it called? Highbow Hill. And if we're looking down the slopes here, we're seeing rows and rows of vines. What sort of vines have we got that we're we're looking at here? 
So, yeah, seven and a half acres, all on its own roots. Basically split into three big blocks. We've got the Chardonnay, some Riesling, some Cabernet Sauvignon. And then we have a little mongrel block, which is Pinot Noir, Sauvignon, yes. Petit Boudot. Yeah. And I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, the misfits in the... Misfits, yeah. <laughs> no, they, the ones that have bring their own character to, to the wines... And um, so this is a place that you came into with what looked like these vines here look pretty old. What are they, about 30 years uh, old? Yeah, about 35 years old. Yeah. yeah. You have set this up as, would it be right to say it's a, a collaboration? Uh, yeah, it's a collaboration with friends. Yeah. Uh, the three of us uh, being me, Ollie and Gus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met through a, a love of wine. And fermentation. Um, we met at wine tastings separately. Yeah, just became really good friends, and we decided to make thin wines together. Yeah, right. And uh, and when did that all sort of coalesce and uh, get established? So that was about two years ago, just before the whole uh, COVID oh. shenanigans. But it kept us busy, and yes. it kept us sane during that time. And it was a really good project for all of us, just to mm. you know to have something good to look forward to every day and, yeah. and to work on. So tell us a little bit about your, um, your other partners in this uh, venture of, of fermentation. So we've got uh, Oliver Johns. He's a, yeah, a native to the uh, Yarra Valley. He's been here for a few generations. Right. Okay. His family are orchardists, so they have a, an apple farm in Yering. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we get a lot of our apples from for our cider. Uh, so, yeah, Ollie has that background of the winemaking, the, the vineyard, the orchard, yeah. uh, obviously the sheep. And, and knowing the location and the people within the, uh, the, this area, and I suppose, therefore, there's uh, uh, acceptance too, isn't it, with, uh, with, with the local, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Like, he, he's very much integrated with the community, and, like, we're now part of that. And, uh, yeah, it's just helpful having all of uh, those connections. Yeah. And, and Gus or Angus? Yeah, so Gus is from a hospitality background. Yeah. So he's very much... He, he's on the money with what people are drinking. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah, yeah. With, yeah, with the stuff that... Is, is happening at the moment? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. He's, he's, he's on... He's in... Uh, He's on the like the drinker's wavelength, and and he, he drinks well, and he introduces me and Ollie to lots of interesting drinks. Yeah, right. Um, so is, he, well, is uh, he the large liver? Is he as in the liver of, of life, not the large you know <laughs> int- organ that we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, 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 something along those lines for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is he the one whose um, whose parents have the screen printing business? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So his family own a screen printing business, and that's how we've ended up screen printing a lot of the artworks onto the bottle. Um, we're using a yeah like the screen printing process and working with an artist who does woodblock printing. Mm-hmm. So he yeah he carves a lot of like native animals and, and body parts. Yes. Um, prints it. Uh, he scans it, and then it gets turned into a screen, mm-hmm. where it then gets screen printed onto the bottle. Yeah, because I've got to say that your your wines look like nothing 
I've seen in the bottle. I mean, uh, mostly clear bottles. Oh, yeah, some are a little bit green. Yeah, mostly clear. Just, um, just to show off those beautiful colours. Yeah. But you've gone in a, in a way that's certainly unorthodox in the fact that uh, the normal sort of uh, orthodoxy sort of dictates that you have a, a paper label on, a, on the wine. You've got the name of the place, but you certainly put... The grape varieties are there, and you've just decided, and we just have a picture of, okay, we pick up two bottles here. One's got the back half of a a fish from the dorsal fin, and we see the fins, of course, perfect for the the label. Uh, This one looks like some sort of scarab beetle that's on it. Um, There's one brilliant one that just has a heart on it, like an anatomical drawing of a heart. And as I said before, there's there's no mention of really what's in the bottle. Tell me about how that sort of ethos evolved and why you went that way. Yeah, well, we just wanted to create drinks that came from a drinkability aspect. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, regardless of what fruit was in it. Yeah. Uh, whether that's grapes or apples, pears, cherries, yep. honey. And, you, and you're mixing the two in some of them too, which... Yeah, cool. yeah, we're, we're pretty into co-ferments when we can do it. Um, and, yeah, I just don't think it's necessarily important all the time to put what what it is on the label yes. and just to experience the drink as it is. And, look, we might get a little bit more into the, uh, the types of things that you do ferment, the things that you love to see bubbling around in tanks and stuff like that. But, John Joe, you haven't said much about yourself and, and what you bring to this... Uh, this little collaborative of mates, these, uh, how would I describe you before, the shiny-eyed brothers in booze? <laughs> what's, what's your gig? How do you fit in with this, uh, this little group? So I worked for Gary um, at Jamsheed Wines for the four years prior to this. And, uh, yeah, Gary um, and Ren, who was working there at the time from Ephemera Wines, uh, pretty much taught me everything I know about winemaking. Yeah, we, we've got to say that, that Gary's a little bit of a, how do we put this, an iconoclast? Someone who doesn't do things generally the way others people, other people do. So I wonder if that sort of, should that inspire some of you thinking to think outside the bottle? Excuse the cliche. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, Gary definitely isn't, sound, like, set too many boundaries and he's uh very open to new ideas and um yeah when i was working at jamsheet and started finn and cray like he was very much behind like a lot of our ideas and he was definitely like an inspiration for us yeah right with his ideas so he was sort of um, very much the mentor to uh, to the way that you think about wines Tell us a little bit about some of the um, the wines that you do do, and yeah, as you were saying, co-fermenting. Yeah, tell us a little bit about um, yeah the range that is uh, within Finn because it's pretty big. Yeah, like we we try and make a bit of everything. So we like to make some varieties from the Yarra that we think are really well suited to this this region. Mm. So like for the bigger reds, little Shiraz and Cabernets. Um, and try and incorporate some whole bunch, create some more like juicy, juby flavours. Yeah, well, yeah, what's it, what, what's that about? When I hear that a lot about winemakers when they talk about, yep, whole bunch fermentation. 
And uh, a lot of the times, me being a bit of an idiot, you know, trying to look like I know about stuff, I go, yeah, a whole bunch. What's good about whole bunch fermentation? So, yeah, it just creates um, this uh, intracellular uh, fermentation inside the berry, which creates these these more fruitful flavours. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's just like a good technique for creating a bit more fruit in the wine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the range, we also play around with a lot of uh, rosés, um, skin contact whites, yeah. uh, a lot of different sparklings. Uh, a, a lot that, sorry to interrupt you, John, yeah. but, uh, but um, a lot of people have sort of named orange wines and it's sort of, in a way, in some circles, they sort of, a little bit damning by saying oh, orange wines. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, they, they can be, yeah. They're, they're new and not really, um, they're of a, a new generation of people making them, I suppose. Would that be right? Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. it's definitely like on trend, and people are enjoying making them. Mm. And um, for for some varieties, it's really well suited. Like it, it makes the drink uh, a lot more fun yeah, and, and drinkable. Like for us, the Roussan, like hot, with a bit of whole bunch skin contact on that, it just transforms the wine into this like lovely kind of almost tropical uh, drink. Yeah, right. Um, brings all of these like big stone fruit flavours and, like, you just think of, like, succulent peaches and, yeah, uh, yeah and, uh, like, tropical fruits. So so big flavours and stuff, but not in the Sav Blanc area of the of the Passiona, right? Uh, no. We, we don't really play too much with the skin contact, Savvy. We do a little bit of skin contact on it, but don't want to bring it, you know, have those real blown-out tropical flavours. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and one of the ones that I was saying that... Uh, I really, really enjoyed was um, you married uh, the Rousson with um, with a cider together, and that's a delicious thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what, a, what do you call that one? So this one's called Farm Daddy, which yeah, is uh, <laughs> it's named after Ollie because he's he's a bit of a farm farm man. Yes. He, uh, anything that he's doing on the farm, he he he's, he's the he's, guy. He's the no, yeah, yeah. He has the know how. Mm. He's the guy. Um, and also, yeah, he's very much like coming. He used to make Adam's Evening Cider, mm. so it has a lot of experience in making ciders. Yep. And we make a lot of ciders from his parents' place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with those orchards, eh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, so yeah, they're all table varieties, um, and to create a bit more uh, texture and depth, uh, we we mill them, leave them on skins yeah. for. A week to three weeks, yes, and then uh, we press them to old oak, yeah. and sometimes we age them for up to two to three years. Yeah, right. Um, but with this one, this was a this is a blend mm. of Roussan that was on skins for about eight days with a year old cider. When possible, like we play around with when the fruit comes in at the right times, we can then co-ferment them. Got it. Wow. So, fin wines, they're, they're here. They've been going for two years. They've had certainly a baptism by COVID, as we all have, I know. Yes, I hear you say that. But one thing, no, two things that need to be mentioned before we uh, we sign off and I have to leave this glorious site is uh, 
first of all, where can people find your wines? And uh, secondly, you're building this most beautiful little shed on the top of the hill with um, uh, which enables people to come and visit you. So first of all, where can people go out to get your wines and tell us about uh, what you're doing here for the hospitality you're showing others? Yeah, so, yeah, in Melbourne... Obviously, like, you know, the, the best retailers like Black Hearts and Samuel Peeps and Wine mm. Republic. Yep. Um, and, like, lots of, lots of wine bars and restaurants. Yep. Too long a list to read right now. But um, we, we also have a website where we try and do same day and, mm. and by the latest, like, next day delivery around Melbourne. And, uh, and you've got this place here that you can show off the place. So people invited to... Uh, come here when are you throwing do- uh, the doors open uh so during the winter we'll be doing like two weekends a month yes uh so we've got the shortest lunch coming up this weekend and then two weeks later after that we've got fireside where we're cooking up some sheep and yeah pouring some wines and light lighting the fires um, but, yeah, come September, we'll be open every weekend, Saturdays and Sundays. Sounds great. Well, uh, to find out more about Finn Wines, well, it'd be easy, isn't it? Just do the Googs and Finn Wine. It's there. John Joe, I love what you guys are doing. Say hi to the, the other guys. I'm sorry they couldn't be here to have a chat, but congratulations on what you're doing, thinking outside the box and um, generally representing the new generation of winemakers coming through. Love what you're doing. Thanks, Cam. There we go. That was John Joe from uh, on top of the hill at Dixon's Creek. You've got to go there, folks. It's mm. uh, um, so far as their their catering aspect, they've got this shed up there, and it mm, looks good. Love the wines, love what they do. Matt, we're going to have to Can go. We? Yes. Indigenuity is coming up soon. Yes. Um, we'll be back in normal space next week. Uh, we will have a chat with John yes. and uh, other great content yet to be uh, um, divulged. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out during the week. Yeah, <laughs> we will. But in the meantime, uh, all you beautiful humans out there, I hope you enjoy the rest of uh, this glorious Sunday, Arvo, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.